Hello and welcome to this week's Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host as always, Chris McDaniel, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. In studio this week, we do not have Joe Manny. She is out on vacation, but we do have... Jason Rosenbaum of the St. Louis Beacon. And we also do have Democratic Senator... Maria Chappelle-Nadal. Senator, thank you very much for joining us. Um, just to start things off, I apologize for my voice. I, I somehow caught a cold in 90-degree weather. Shameful. I don't know. I don't know how that happens. I didn't think. Uh, I didn't think colds were going around this time of the year, but uh, I think that's enough about me. We want to know more about you, yes. Senator. Yes, we want to know more about you, Senator. So, give us a little bit of your background. How how did you become and in, get into the illustrious world of Missouri politics? Well, I have to tell you, it has been a very long journey, and I went to Clayton High School. You know, that's really important for a lot of people in St. Louis. And Which I high had school did you go a to? Stellar, a stellar high school, by the way. One of the, the top way. five. One of the top five in the state. But in one of my classes, which actually was a combined AP English and history class, I was so encouraged and motivated to learn more about American history. And so from that point on, um, I decided to go to Columbia University for a summer program in New York. I learned a lot about the second immigration, um, and I took a couple of psychology classes. But what I learned the most was a lot about African-American politics early, early on. And I wanted to study a little bit more about that. So I decided to go to a place, Atlanta, where you had a bunch of African-Americans who were elected into office, and that's where I went to school. Um, I wanted to have that experience that many do not have uh, in being in a place where there are many African-Americans who are elected. But I realized after I graduated from high school or from college that the line for a black woman was much, much longer in Georgia than it was here at home in Missouri. So I came back home. Um, and I worked on a couple of campaigns. I worked for Charlie Dooley and his congressional campaign. And then I met a guy by the name of Joe Maxwell, who is one of my mentors and ended up being my boss. What year was this? Uh, this was in 2000. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. I get very geeked when you talk about Joe Maxwell because I used to work for the Columbia Tribune. And his reputation among mid-Missouri, northeast Missouri Democrats is legendary. And I know hyperbole here. I think if he had decided to run for re-election in 2004, we would be talking about the second term of Governor Maxwell right now, oh, I absolutely. think. Absolutely. But absolutely. I, I did want to ask, like, what did you learn from, from Lieutenant Governor Maxwell? I'm sure you're about to get into it before my, you know, random interjection there. But <laughs> Well, he offered me courage and examples of, of being courageous every single day. Um, he, when he gave a speech, you really knew that he meant it and he felt it. When he would talk about people with disabilities, you could see the tears in his eyes or people who have been taken advantage of. You can see that in his eyes and in his spirit and in his nonverbal communication. And so from that, I knew that you had to have a heart being in the public eye. You have to have some true meaning, some true purpose um, that's bigger than yourself. And you have to constantly give of yourself. I represent over 176,000 people, I think, actually with redistricting. It's about 203,000 people. And I think about those people every single day. I wake up every single morning and I ask myself, 
how am I going to prove that I'm worthy today? And Joe is one of those people. He wakes up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I could tell you this week, the beginning of this week, I sent him a text message at 5 o'clock in, this morning, in the morning because I needed to get his advice on something. So Joe is someone who works very hard. He definitely collaborates pe- with people as much as possible. He always looks for the 70% test. Mm-hmm. So if someone can reach 70% of, of what you're looking for, then that's good enough to move forward. And that's one of the things that he taught me. He also continuously teaches me today uh, you know, understanding what patience is all about mm-hmm. because you're not going to get everything immediately. It takes some time to get um, what you really need for your constituents. And and I'm just blessed that I have him in Jefferson City to guide me and to give me advice when needed. So kind of to just briefly go over your, your electoral history, you were first elected in 2004 to a House seat that encompassed yes. mainly, was it all University City or was it some other municipality? I would say it was about 80% of University City, all of Wellston and all of Pagedale. Oh. So that was about 36,000 people. And then you won a contested Democratic primary in 2010 to become the senator for the 14th senatorial district, which before redistricting, you know, covered a, a swath of, I guess, North St. Louis County. Now, I guess it goes down into Clayton a little bit after redistricting. Yeah. Um, if I, I hope I accurately describe that. Um, just generally, what has been your experience in the Senate since you've entered? And in particular, if you wanted to point out, you know, some things that happened this year that you found interesting, wide open forum to do both things. Well, I love this in it. It is an honor and a privilege to serve the people of the 14th District. And I think about them, as I said earlier, every single day and realize that it's a privilege to be where I am. The other thing that I would say is that I have a voice in the Senate. In the House, we go by very different rules, and you only have 15 minutes to talk about your issue. Um, When I was in the House, a lot of respect was given to why you think the way that you do. As time has changed in the House, um, you're cut off from debate very early. Um, And I I don't think that is the place we should be in a democratic society. In the Senate, because we are governed by different rules, every single senator is equal. And I say frequently on the Senate floor, when I walk out of that Senate chamber, I am not equal. When I am in that Senate chamber, I'm equal to everyone. And I take full privilege of that uh, huge opportunity. I take that and know that this is the opportunity that I have to talk about what my constituents care about the most. Mm -hmm. So this year in particular, I guess you co-sponsored a bill with Senator Krause involving um, TANF benefits, which is temporary assistance for needy families. And it was interesting when when I heard the backstory about that. It came from the fact that I guess you were filibustering a bill from the previous year about putting photo ID on these cards. And then you kind of worked with him over the interim to come up with something that eventually got through the process and was signed this week. Um, how did that How did that all come about? It's kind well, of an unlikely situation, it seems. It is. It's actually a beautiful situation. So for two years in a row, I was killing his bill in committee or on the floor. <laughs> and, you know, what we both care about is that we use taxpayer dollars in the right way. And especially for, and I can't speak for everyone, but within the African-American community, we care about making sure resources get to those people who actually need them. 
So if you ask anyone, the people who I talk to, they'd say, no, absolutely not. You should not be using these taxpayer dollars in a strip club or, you know, at a casino or at a liquor store. No way should you be doing that because there are people that they know that really need to have this assistance. And for someone to misuse those dollars and take away from someone who actually needs them is a disgrace. So Will and I, Senator Krause and I, agreed that we want to make sure that these funds are being used properly. But the other end of the things is if he got his way, it would be completely devastating. I actually went around my district and I started asking people, aldermen, uh, people in the grocery store, my own grocery store clerk, and I asked, you know, who uses this TANF card? I went to my local restaurant um, that I go to frequently and I asked them, have you ever seen these cards? And I brought a picture of what the TANF card looks like and there were people using these cards at the bar and I couldn't believe it because that's not what these funds are used for. They should be used for children and families who are trying to sustain themselves with just everyday life. And I guess the, you, you spot, that, that was a bill you co-sponsored. You were saying before that the governor actually vetoed a bill that you sponsored about televoting um, that you were not – Teleconferencing. 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 And I don't think the governor really understands what we were trying to do in that. I sit on the University City School Board, and I can tell you it is very hard to get people to run for office. Up until this year, we had gone three years without a contested race. So the same people are constantly in. There is no competition. Um, And I I really do believe that people who make an effort to serve voluntarily on these boards, um, whether it's your city council or or on your school board, they have to work their full-time jobs and take care of their families at the same time. And many of these people end up having to go out of town for business. Um, I happened to be in a situation where I was in Taiwan, and I was was doing a political study at the time, and we were voting on a $19 million issue. And someone very smartly decided to look in state statute and say that you can't vote on a $19 million issue. Now, that's a problem. That is a problem. So what I was seeking is flexibility, no excuses for, you know, whether you're going to physically be at a meeting or not. You know, I'm at my school board meetings. I enjoy them. I think that I get to offer a lot of insight where other school board members don't have that. But I also know that I go out of town a lot. And I'm not even talking about Jefferson City. I'm just talking about the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I am on business out of town, I want to make sure that I have have the opportunity to vote on something financial. So, you know, this is not just about me. It's about a lot of people. I, there's a gentleman, the Post-Dispatch mentioned, a gentleman who um, was in Iraq or Afghanistan. Yeah, St. Charles like County Council. Yeah. And he couldn't vote. And so when you volunteer for something like this, I think you should have flexibility. I had wide uh, support for this. um, And we'll be looking at what our opportunities are going to be in September. So I don't remember this veto happening. There have been a, there have been a lot of vetoes in the past few months. Jason, or do either of you remember? What what did the governor say was I, his reason? I don't know offhand. That you should show up. Yeah, but so, I think it was something like that. I think it was okay. something like that for sure. Um, he, as you mentioned, he's vetoed a lot of bills, and I didn't look at that one specifically, but I think that was basically the rationale. Yeah, and I don't think he understands. I don't think he really understands local politics and volunteerism. We can't get people to run for office these days. 
You know, it doesn't, I mean, it's a volunteer job. It doesn't pay anything. You have to have a lot of passion behind something when you run for office, and especially if it's a volunteer opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, I could be doing other things, but I choose to spend my extra my extra time being on the local school board. That's what fulfills me. And so, um, you know, I just think other people who have busier lives mm-hmm. and who have children and who have growing families and full-time jobs, that they should have the opportunity, if they're on a business meeting or, you know, they're out of town, they should be able to vote by video conference. Mm-hmm. That, that That's a fantastic segue to our next topic. Uh, you know, as you kind of mentioned, you have a unique perspective on the legislature because you are a member of the University City School Board. Um, and I, I think we both wanted to get your take on what's happening at Normandy High School and Riverview Gardens High School. Yes. If, so, so unaccredited schools will now have to be paying for students to go to accredited schools. I'm going to a meeting tonight where there are going to be a lot of parents from uh, Francis Howell High School or Francis from the Francis Howell District, uh, where Normandy students will will be bused there. Um, what's your take on the situation? Uh, it's well, it's very complex. Let me start yeah. there. It is very complex. Um, Normandy has been dealing with this situation of accreditation before I was even elected to the House. And so I recall maybe two years prior, they had been um, designated as provisionally accredited, perhaps. I remember Wellston School District, so many different problems that existed with that school district. The first memory that I have is that the the uh, superintendent of a district with 600 kids was getting paid like $260,000. And no other place in St. Louis was a superintendent getting paid that much. But that's my first memory from the early 2000s. And as time has progressed, there have been many different superintendents. There have been uh, many different school board members. But there has always been an existing problem with uh, making sure the infrastructure is in place for children to succeed and to learn. One of the difficulties that people do not realize in Normandy is that there are 24 municipalities that are represented by one school district. And as I have been talking about gun violence in the district, one of the things people should understand is for every single municipality, you have at least two or three different gangs. (laughs) And when you have two or three different gangs, times 24, all in one school district, you have a lot of problems. And and that is a distraction from a student's ability to learn and to to succeed and be successful in many other aspects of their lives. So that is the just the foundation. Then you go back a couple of years and you find that Wellston School District was um, was put into the Normandy School District. And so you have more complications from, from that standpoint because you still have um, to do the oversight to make sure that the kids from Wellston are not fighting the kids from Normandy. You want to make sure that the Normandy kids aren't picking on the kids from Wellston because it, it seems like it's a poorer community. You have so many things to d- deal with. And then, um, you know, I, I, I have been very vocal about this. And when the commissioner, Chris Castro, decided to go against the three-year agreement on MSIP, on making sure MSIP scores would now be counted. And what does that stand for, by the way? Oh, it's the Missouri State Improvement Plan. It's the standard in which every single school district is accredited. That, 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 that's probably a good <laughs> ex- description on that, but continue. Yes. So, and I always call it MSIP, you know, because it's 
much, much faster. I think that's fair. <laughs> um, so in any case, um, the people of Normandy, that, that community, they feel um, betrayed by Chris Nicastro. And it's not only a, sen- a sentiment from the people from the Normandy community, but also as I talk to senators like Senator Munslinger and others throughout the state, regardless of if they are from a rural, urban, white or black community, there are so many senators who are just um, not impressed with Chris Nicastro. And I've been very vocal about that. And I'm going to continue being vocal on that. But let me get to to your question again. So that's the foundation that I laid out. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, we were scared as school board uh, in University City. You know, our, we're just trying to be fully accredited on paper. Yes, we're fully accredited. When you look at our monthly scores, they're not fully accredited at that level that we need mm-hmm. to be. So we are constantly challenged with trying to improve our scores within our own school district. Our population of students is over 90% um, African American. We have over 80% free and reduced lunch. Normandy School District, Riverview School District, all of those school districts are over at least over 85% free and reduced lunch. So you know that there are some poverty issues that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So you take that. Um, you know, we're trying to do better in University City. We ha- have had some improvements since I've been on the school board. We've gone from a 7 in accreditation to a 10 in accreditation. Now we are in MSIP 5, so we're switching the numbers on that. Um, and in 2015, it's going to be a big deal. But we were nervous that we were going to get students in from Normandy um, and Wellston into University City, which would completely throw us off with what we we need to do. Um, the next thing is, I have to say the Normandy School District, whoever decided to send their, you know, to pay for, for busing, transportation into Francis Hall, that was such a smart move. I think it was an incredibly smart move. Um, and for for multiple reasons, because now you have um, my friend, Mark Parkinson, mm-hmm. who is just completely against this, and I understand why. Um, but they can they can take in these students and not suffer in their accreditation period. Now, I guess they're afraid that all these gangs or something is going to go out to Francis Howell or something. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my constituents said this outcry against um, you know Normandy kids going to uh, the Francis Howell School District is like um, you know Jim Crow's grandson talking. You know, and that's pretty interesting to me because when we had the discussion of, um, you know, DSEC, I was a DSEC student. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say. I didn't want to assume that you were, but you, no, you're, from, you're from University City. I'm and you went from to University City. My mom chose to move to St. Louis City so that I could go to Clayton. So mm-hmm. she did that. She assumed that. But not all parents can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is this is kind of interesting because we're at a point where we get to say, you know, school choice is all good, but not in my backyard. And I mean, that's essentially what some of the Francis Howell folks are saying. Not all of them. Some of them are. You know, school choice is okay, but not in my backyard. Because you've been kind of a consistent critic of the quote-unquote school choice agenda over the last five or ten years. Yes. Um, I don't know if you wanted to get into why, but 
This is a completely different situation. Um, But let me tell you what we are concerned about. Mm -hmm. Um, We are still getting requests in University City Mm -hmm. um, of students who are in Normandy, in Riverview, who want to go to University City schools. Mm -hmm. We still have to get that money. When Wellston became unaccredited and they were able to go to Clayton, they went to Pattonville, they went wherever, they said, you know, we didn't get our money. So if you're in on the other side of that, so if you're Clayton or if you're U-City or if you're Kirkwood or whoever takes in these new students, one of the problems you're going to get is you may not get paid. The other end of that is that school district that's paying for transportation, they are going to go bankrupt. So it's not helping Normandy to lose a certain amount of money for transportation for any of the students, whether they go to Francis Howell or University City or Clayton or Pattonville, they are still having having a good amount of money being taken from their overall revenue for that school district because they still have to educate those students who choose to stay in that school district. Mm -hmm. Now, you brought up Representative Mark Parkinson, and he's been calling on the governor for a special session to set guidelines for the state legislature to set some guidelines uh, for busing students. Um, the, The governor this week Completely he's, he's not, turn that he's down. Not he's, gonna do that, he, he's not going to do that. He's not going to do that. What do you see happening next year? Do you see any more guidelines coming out? Any advice to the school districts next session? Yeah, this. This is a place where we've never been before on education policy. Typically, my dear friend Eric Schmidt and I, we are in agreement when it comes to our our hold harmless school districts in the St. Louis area, um, and we're really opposed to Chris Nicastro for redistributing our funds and sending those funds to other school districts in outstate Missouri. Um, but where where he is and where Parkinson, uh, where he is, we are in a couple of different places totally on all of this. Um, so what I want to ensure is that these children who are able to travel get a good, decent education and are able to succeed. On the other end of things, I have to make sure as a legislator that these school districts like Riverview and Normandy don't have important resources, financial resources taken from them so that overall, the overall outcome is worse than what it even started with. So it's very difficult. It's very difficult to, to you know, swim this path, down this path. Um, and I don't think that all of us are in the same place. I don't think that, um, you know, I was supportive of the special session. I don't think that the governor wants to pay for that. And I understand that he doesn't want to. We are going to have a very aggressive veto session. I can tell you that much. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't think too many people are are excited about that. Some may be, some may not be, but we'll determine what the strategy is in a couple of months on that one. But I have to tell you that what we have to do is balance this all out. Senator Pierce has talked about this. He's on the Kansas City side. Senators like uh, Will Krause, he's going to have an issue because he um, is in that in that area where Kansas City kids will come in. Um, Senator Lavota is going to have issues from more Kansas City students coming in to Independence and, and so on. And then there are some rural school districts that may be able to go across county lines as well. So we're going to have to look at this very carefully in the future and balance it all out in the end. So another thing that you kind of made a name for yourself in this session was on the issue of any legislation that involved firearms or yes. guns. We, we talked, we had a conversation, I think, in January and February about mm-hmm. a specific bill that you sponsored, but I guess got a hearing but didn't get to the floor. But it seemed like you were very successful 
and getting amendments on some of these bills. Um, You know, tell me about your the really interesting thing about talking about that is you came from this issue, I think, with a completely different perspective than a lot of people. Absolutely. So tell me about it. And I don't know how much time you have, but this is something that I'm very passionate about. We're willing to go to 35 minutes (laughs) if you want to. (laughs) This is something that I'm very passionate about. Um, In University City, we had four young people to die within eight months uh, to be shot. So a 12-year-old shot another 12-year-old. There was a drive-by shooting of a young girl. She was a teenager. There was a 17-year-old that was killed by a gang member. And then we had a young boxer who was just home for the weekend before he did a, a national tour in boxing. He was also shot just about two minutes from my house. And so because of all of those things happening, it's, it's a wake-up call. It says, you've got to figure out, why is this happening? Why are all these young people just in one municipality being killed um, by the use of a firearm? Why is this happening? So what I decided to do, and I represent 41 municipalities, uh, some in part and some in whole, and I decided to do ride-alongs with police officers. And I want to encourage anyone who has the time and is willing to do this, they should go on ride-alongs with police officers because you'll get a completely different perspective than what is on the news. Um, And I just really encourage that. Because of those ride-alongs that I've done, uh, my life has changed. Mm -hmm. And I'm just telling you that right now. Because of poverty, because there are parents who are having children when they're children themselves, because there is not infrastructure in place in in poor communities, because there is a lack of a decent education, because there is a lack of transportation, because there is high unemployment, because there is a lack of job opportunities out there. There are communities that are suffering, and what I have found is that there are children who have no, no hope They have no sense of what their future is going to look like. Their way out is to get into a gang. And in that gang, they're going to um, steal people's guns. They're going to burglarize people's homes. They'll steal those guns and do other crimes. And if you go, we were talking about Normandy earlier, but... You know, these gangs in St. Louis County are by far different than, than other communities. They're block by block. They're, or you could think of them, they're precinct by precinct. And that's a scary thing. If you are looking into the face of a young black man who is completely just, he's looking into your eyes and there's no expression whatsoever and he feels completely lost and dead, yet he's alive. That is what exists in my community are so many young people starting at the age of 13, 14, up to 23 years old of young black men who feel completely hopeless. They're, unfortunately, many of their parents are not accountable to what they need to be doing. They do not provide structure. This is not every family, but some families. Um, And because of that, I said, no, we've got to do something. I have to talk about these guns that are illegal on the street and they're being used in other crimes. And I'm pretty sure across the board, some people want to make this racial. But let me just tell you, in my community, I don't care who it is, what you look like, where you live. No one wants to be burglarized. No one wants to have a 15-year-old with a gun and the barrel is looking down in your eyes. Mm -hmm. No one wants to experience that. And so... 
this whole gun thing, you know, from after um, Newtown. After, after Newtown, I mean, the twelve-year-old died the day before, was killed the day before. Seventeen-year-old gets killed by a gang member, you know, on the Sunday after Newtown, and what people were talking about in the media had absolutely nothing to do with what our crisis is in St. Louis. It had nothing to – everybody was talking about high-capacity magazines. They were talking about all of these things. Young black men who live in poor areas don't have high-capacity magazines or AK-47s. They have handguns that were legally possessed, but because they have stolen them, are now um, an illegal possession. And so that is from the standpoint I come from, and that is the conversation that I, I do believe you and I had. Mm-hmm. So and my whole thing is, you know, I, I agree with the Second Amendment. If you want to own a gun, you own your gun, you protect your family, you protect your business. You know, I don't support illegal guns um, whatsoever. But in my community, I am not going to tolerate people stealing guns and having illegal guns on the street and no one is saying anything about it. Mm-hmm. So my my part of the conversation, this whole gun conversation, has been about what I call the hood. Mm-hmm. And I care about my community. I care about our young black men. And, oh, by the way, the young ladies who are dating these young gangsters who think it's cool to date these young gangsters, I've seen pictures of them. They're on Facebook. These gang members have their pictures on Facebook. They'll go to the Jennings Park every summer, the the 1020s. They'll be in the Jennings Park, and they'll have all their colors on, and their girlfriends will be all out there, as if it's cool to date a gang member who's not only raping other people, but selling drugs, distributing drugs into our communities, and also, oh, and by the way, going into our homes and doing more crimes. And And just to be specific on one way that you kind of infuse that message. On this House Bill 436, the quote-unquote gun nullification bill, I believe you put an amendment in that basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but 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 it's something it's something about gun safety and violence in urban areas. Is it that was correct? hard. Let me tell you, I filibustered this year. Um, Senator, he, he just completely disrespected me, but um, Senator Schaefer had his, his Looney Tune bill to put on the ballot to help, you know, the gun thing. And he was so disrespectful to me on the floor. I said, well, he deserves this four-hour filibuster I'm about to do because I had an entire little um, booklet or binder of all the different crimes for every single Senate district in the state with all of the gun gun violence issues that, that were coming up in every single senator's district. And so I said to everyone, I told you earlier this mm-hmm. year, there's no gun bill that was going to get past me without identifying the issues that we're dealing with. Now, you can go talk to other representatives who want to talk about high-capacity magazines and AK-47s, but that's not in the hood. We have handguns in the hood. Mm-hmm. And so I need to deal with the legal possession of handguns in the hood because that is the crisis that we have in my district, in my district. Now, do I support measures um, for background checks and, and all of those other things? Absolutely, hands down. But I told the senators and I told Funderburg, Representative Funderburg, that nothing is going to go forward without addressing the issues of illegal possession um, in certain areas. And part of that language dealt with parents being responsible. Whether you are a parent who is teaching their child to hunt 
or if you are a grandfather who has um, custody of their grandson and you have a handgun in the house, you need to keep that handgun safe. Mm -hmm. And that is along, that's the language that we, we added is that you need to make sure you supervise your children around guns, make sure that the guns are stored safely, and understand that there is accountability with having a gun, a legal, um, a legally possessed gun in your household. But by no means should we say that it is a, an okay thing to have a legal possession of a gun in someone's household. That is unacceptable, and I am not going to let this conversation go any further without talking about the color of a legal possession in my district. I understand Newtown. You know, I'm very sensitive to Newtown, but I'm much, 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 much sensitive, much more sensitive to those 12-year-olds and 17-year-olds and 16-year-olds who are being killed on a daily basis. Now, we're going to deviate a little bit from the schedule that we had set out because we just ha- we had some news uh, come about or, or break uh, while we were recording the podcast um, whoa. Um, so libertarian multimillionaire Rex Singfield, while we were recording the podcast, um, he disclosed that he gave $1.3 million to the Grow Missouri Committee, which is a committee formed uh, to try to enact the income tax decrease, which is also an accidental sales tax increase for prescription drugs. Jason, we, we've talked about before, uh, you've said that this that it has 0% chance of overcoming uh, veto that the governor put. Do you think that this changes anything? Uh, did I say 0% chance? You did. I said very, you did. very low chance. You said very low, and then the— um, I still don't think it has the votes in the House, even, okay. even with this money— I mean, I just I literally just saw that this is yeah. not something we planned. But yeah. so we'll, we'll actually show the senator what we're talking about. Now, Grow Missouri, I believe, is like the the group that includes the Chamber of Commerce, AIM, National Federation of Businesses or something mm-hmm. that's running an ad campaign, which I think I wrote about before. Yeah. Um, do you have any reaction to this this news at all? Well, OK, so. Rex, I, I've actually done a, a psychological analysis of Rex Singfield, but I'll keep that for another day. Um, so what I would say is that um, Rex feels with his money, and he has a lot of it, he's a billionaire, feels that he has a lot of power with money. Um, the reality is is that he's lost most of the things he's ever put his money towards. Mm-hmm. You know, And I could go down the line. I've been doing um, – you know, a financial background check on him for a very long time, just who he's giving to, how much he's given, um, just following the money. And, you know, in many of these circumstances, he's lost. He gave, I know when I ran for Senate, he gave two of my opponents, two, not one, but two of my opponents, uh, $30,000 each. Luckily, I was able to get a match to that. Um, But he's lost more than he's ever won. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm sure, and that's why, and I know we're going to get to this a little bit later on, you know, anytime he puts money into an effort, um, I know where I live, you know, people look down upon him and just think that he's someone who needs a lot of attention and who um, is very um, idealistic in his own way. Um, Others say that he's on his own planet, Um, you know, and I just, you know, he could, I finally met him about two months ago, Mm -hmm. you know. 
He didn't know who I was because I'm sporting the afro now, right? So <laughs> You've been talking about him for years, and he yeah. didn't know who you he were? He didn't know who I was. Believe it or not, Chris Coster is the one who introduced me to oh, him. Oh, really? Yes. And so where, it was, where was this? This was in the Central West End. Okay. Because you and Coster haven't always got along either. No, we made up. You made up. Yes, we made up two months ago. We were having our makeup lunch then. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were in a restaurant right next to the chess club. And so Rex walks in. He's much shorter than what I thought he would be because, you know, with all that money, he seems like he's 10 feet tall. But he's much shorter than what I thought he would be. And, um, you know, he he hangs out with globally known, like, chess players and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he has life. You know, I'm trying to figure out how lonely is he. You know, many people who have the life are lonely. And, you know, they have to support their money so they can not look so lonely and create friends. So then you start giving millions of dollars away to create friends because you didn't have those friends, perhaps. I don't know. I'm just guesstimating here. But, you know, good luck. Good luck. You know, what I would say, your money hasn't worked before, so let's see if it works now. But, you know, it is it is a democracy. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court has decided that, you know, corporations are people. You know, I think, you know, people should have a say in, in what works and what doesn't work. Um, and this, you know, if – I mean, he probably makes, what, $5 million a day, something like that, or more, you know. So he could spend this amount of money. But, you know, I say in terms of education, build your own schools. Call them the Rex Singfield schools and show us the difference. Get a population of, of kids who live in poverty and then create your own kind of educational program. And then after five years, let's see what your results are and then give us the best best practices of whatever your your strategic plan was so that every single school that is in a poverty-stricken area can do just as good as your school. Now, quickly before we end this this podcast, um, mm-hmm. what do you think is going to happen to you next year in your re-election bid? I think we talked before, you've always had a primary opponent. Always, and I always expect it. And, and are you expecting one this time? And do you think someone like Sinkfeld will get involved and try to take he, you out? Um, Singfield has been involved in every election I've ever had, with the exception of the first. So I had that that expectation, um, and it's perfectly fine. Let me tell you, having primaries keeps you on your toes. And, you know, I love a good primary. And let me tell you, if you think I'm um, a force to reckon with in that Senate chamber, you better see me in the field. I think that's a good good place to end this right now, or a good uh – line to pithy line although i'm ruining it by by saying how pithy and good it was so yes i I think that is a good good place to end it um you can you can read all of my stories at stlpublicradio.org you can read all of jason's stories and joe's stories when she gets back from vacation at stlbeacon.org uh you can follow me on twitter at at cs mcdaniel you can follow jason on twitter at j rosenbaum and you can follow the senator on twitter at yes maria chappelle in Thank you very much for joining us, Senator. We'll be back next week with another guest. Um, it is Senator- Scott Roop of yes. St. Charles is we'll- our guest next week. We'll be back next week. Until then, so long. So long.